welcome back to State of Mind, my podcast. I'm Grace Kingswell and I'm a nutritional therapist and lifestyle medicine advocate. Essentially, that means I'm down for hardcore health facts, but also lifestyle hacks like cold water swimming, meditation and mindfulness and harnessing the power of your own body. I'm really excited to bring you an episode with Mika Simmons. Mika is an actress, a filmmaker, founder of the Lady Garden Foundation and a women's campaigner. Mika founded Lady Garden after she tragically lost her mum to stage four ovarian cancer when she was just 54. In this episode, which is incredibly poignant and moving in parts, and also hilariously funny in others, Mika and I talk about everything from diet and nutrition to feminism and women's health, how and why she set up Lady Garden, and of course, I find out what state of mind means to her. So let's get into the episode. Hello. So nice to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for coming. I'm glad it's a podcast because I'm a bit sweaty. <laughs> Cycled here. I came on a Boris. I rode Boris here. You put a story up the other day, yesterday was it, saying, I'm riding Boris, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> on my Instagram. And he's just become our prime minister and I thought that was fantastic. I didn't know he if He doesn't it was go very fast, actually. Slow at the time. <laughs> he doesn't go very fast. They're quite slow. So it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you for um, asking me. The first question I ask everyone is, what's the last thing you did that positively impacted your health? Oh, I've just had such a good year of health. I feel amazing at the moment. So there's probably a few things, but um, obviously I've been juicing quite a lot with the help of C-Press, who we were doing this podcast with today. Um, and I actually started doing that about a year ago and I've done them quite regularly and I had a period of ill health after having glandular fever and then I had some kind of post-viral. Oh, I didn't know you had glandular fever. That's yeah. really interesting. It was a long time ago. It was about five years ago, but then there was a couple of years of illness and and then I couldn't quite get myself back up to speed. And I have to say that doing... There's a couple of things. One, doing the C-Press juices over the last year have been really transforming in terms of just bringing a whole new kind of ignition into my body versus to the sluggishness that I was in still a little bit after um after being ill and I'd put on quite a lot of weight and stuff which I'm not that's not a problem but for me energetically that made me feel very stagnant mm. so yeah I'm kind of a bit of a fan of juicing or fasting it really helped me turn the corner on eating craving healthy food mm. actually like and I just went curbing from, craving, yeah. cravings in general. So like if you just kind of like swing yourself away from them, I think that, that you realise that you don't need them and you don't want them. And then I also went to Body Camp Mallorca recently, which was life-changing because it was vegan food. I'm now vegan-ish. <laughs> I love that. Vegan-ish. So you've managed to keep up the, the eating. Yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, I'm trying not to be fussy. If you know, if I'm a guest, then I'm not going to be fussy about it. But I'm trying to be vegan-ish, and it does make a massive difference again to my energetics. Um, but also, body camp changed my exercise routine because I went with all these injuries, and I I couldn't work out how to get back to exercising after being ill, kind of in the way that I used to exercise. And while I was at body camp, the trainers, there's this crazy guy there called Rick, Rick the trainer, and he wears wigs in the morning and eye makeup, and I mean, he's he's a phenomenal human being who kind of like encourages you to be really free in your exercise. And I understood that 
I was sat in some fear around really moving my body. So I kind of just went for it and um, stopped kind of moving in a way where I was holding my body to see whether or not, you know, you've got Something bad back. Hurt. Yeah, you, you've got a sore lower back. So you think, well, I've got to hold that really still and then it won't hurt anymore. What they taught me was that actually just keep moving, keep moving. And, and it's just super encouraging. The people that go are amazing. It's really fun. Um, Didn't you say they were encouraging you to dance or something? Yeah. I remember you were telling me about it. Dancing in between sets, dancing first thing in the morning. You know, you get woken up at like quarter to seven. It's like they're singing downstairs, top volume. Sounds like an absolute nightmare. Like when you first get there, you're like, I'm going to hate this. I don't want to have people singing Bon Jovi to me at quarter to seven in the morning. Like, stop being so positive. I am not that person. And by the end, I'm like, yeah. Person, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, loads of dancing, which I love. I'm a big dancer. So yeah, and then actually, when I got back, I've kind of carried it on. But also, I've been working a bit with a trainer, like an inspiring trainer um, who's on Instagram. He's I am Simon, and I just check in with him quite regularly. He's got me drinking a lot more water. He has asked me because I go out quite a lot, quite like a big, out out, or just for social life. And stuff. Yeah, it's all work. Like, I'm not one to go out. I don't go out for no reason. Like, if you said to me, do you want to go to the pub for a drink? I'd be like, no. What's no, the point of that? In. Yeah. Yeah, but I've got a lot going on with my work life. So, and and so therefore a lot, and, and my work life is very creative. So I get to mm. go to a lot of events, which are really amazing, fun, social, but also work. And I was eating out a lot. And, and I Am Simon was saying to me, you've got to cook, cook more drink more water from scratch yeah yeah and just try and just be more conscious we agreed that I would do at least half an hour's exercise a day I've kept that up so yeah those are the things I'm doing that's great great at the moment except for sweaty it's been so hot I'm wearing a bra so I don't have any boob sweat yesterday in London in this heat I wore this like silk dress that you don't need a bra for and I had a river Oh, no. <laughs> I had to go into Gales and get some napkins and tuck them underneath my boobs. Oh, my god! If you're visualising this, listener. <laughs> I am. Anyway, yeah. I always try and wear clothing in the heat where I don't need to wear a bra, but I guess, you know, no, that's small-chested woman. No, 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 that's the sensible thing to mm. do. I saw the silk dress. I feel like there's nothing worse. And I thought, worse. that's the perfect thing to wear because it's so light and it's quite old and I didn't really, you know, I was going to ride a Boris and I was like, that's the dress to wear on a really hot day. And then I like, 10 minutes later down the road, yeah. I was like, I am dripping. I still prefer a Boris over the tube on a hot day though. Always a Boris. Always a Boris. <sighs> Mind you, get taxis are now doing this amazing thing where they're donating money towards carbon emissions. If you need to take, oh, a, if that? you need to drive, I don't know about this. If you need to drive, get a get taxi green app. They're okay. making a twenty p donation, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if if everyone used that instead, it would be amazing. Mm. But but I mean, I just you know, I'm I'm all into being as 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 fit and healthy for myself and the world as possible. So mm. bicycles. In fact, I was I was riding over here and thinking. January is going to be a nightmare. I'm not going to be able to be on the bikes at all. I still cycle in winter. I love it, actually. I much prefer it in winter than I do in summer because you get less sweaty. I think you're braver than me. Mm, Or maybe more foolish because I feel like cycling in London is just... But do you find it, um, going back to, to your body camp experience, what was it like coming back to London, having been in such an immersive, positive environment that is again so far removed from your everyday life well well in, in all honesty 
at this stage in my life, it was absolutely fine. But I used to, re- I, you know, I did, Im- I used to really struggle. Mm. I used to really struggle with the split between how I feel in the countryside and how I feel in London. I don't know what's changed. I've done a lot of work on myself, done a lot of personal development. I have a really good life in London now. It's quite balanced. Mm. Um, and I let go. Don't care about stuff. I just as let much. go. I yeah. let go of. I let go of the fight. Eckhart Tolle says this brilliant thing. He says, um, "You know, it's not. I'm going to paraphrase it. It won't be as eloquent, but he says it's not the problem. Is the problem? It's your reaction to the problem. Mm. You know, we have a choice in every single moment. And and the the lower resourced you are, so." If you don't have any resources in your life, it's very, very difficult to be in alignment with this sense that you have a choice in how you react to something. I think if you're on, you know, the front line of life, you don't, you really haven't got any money or you're going through a massive grief or whatever it is, then your brain, your nervous system and your, and your you know, your, your, your world is quite reactionary. And I think the better resourced you are, the more you can take a pause and go, actually, I don't need to react. To that like that and so mm. you can see London as a problem and I'm in a good space at the moment I've had very difficult times in my life very very difficult at the moment things are really amazing and I can go well I've just had an amazing weekend in Mallorca thank you God oh I've got an amazing life in London oh thank you God mm. and also to know that I can go back to Mallorca and that London is my choice yeah you know but but I but in my 20s when I first left drama school and I had nothing I had nothing Rented rooms for years, single rooms in people's houses. I didn't have n- nothing. That's a real, that's an exaggeration. You know, people starving in, in, in war-torn countries have nothing. It was hard. And, and when I left London and felt in, it, like when I get to the countryside, I feel like someone takes something off of me. And I, it, it's like my heart expands in a way that, I just I don't have that experience in London. Mm, London feel, is tight. Yeah. London is tight, and and you know there's this expression that synapse fire together, wire together. So if you're like rushing, lots of information coming in as you're running around London, you know then your brain starts to function like that. Mm. But I do think it's a choice, even with all of that going on, that you can you know you can choose the love channel or you can choose the fear channel. And if you choose to be attached to the amount of drama there is in London, then you are going to sit in the fear channel. Yeah. But it's your choice. I, it wasn't so much a choice in my 20s. I, I'm in a really good space at the moment. So, And there's, mm. there's been some very difficult things in my life and there's things that I haven't got that I want, uh, very deep things that I feel really sad about. But I still have a great relationship with higher power and a, and a real trust that... Um, things are happening in the right way. Yeah, and it's all going to work out. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. That's such a powerful sentiment and I feel like you're speaking directly at me then because I am the worst person for complaining about London and wanting to be elsewhere all the time. Mm. And then I look around me and I think, I've got it really good Mm. here, like I do. (laughs) But I think as humans we are sort of always a bit hardwired to kind of want extra and more and better all the time and I think you know that's the process of evolution that's why we've got to such an incredible stage with our lives and technology and what we can and can't do but there is so much to be gained I agree with you for just being content 
in the moment mm. and with what you have. Mm. It's really amazing. So I want to talk to you about um, Lady Garden. Lady Garden. Which is the... The vagina The project. vagina project. The incredible... It's not just the vagina project, actually. I get told off for saying that. It's not. It's the gynecological project. It's all yes. about gynecology, all the anatomy of the gyne area. Yes, and there's a there's a big thing at the moment about, you know, we just call everything in that area the vagina when sometimes we actually mean the vulva and, you know, we need to use the right terminology and all this stuff. Yeah, I think some of that is a reclaiming of the word vagina. I spoke to someone about something else I'm doing this morning and they were like, oh, I don't like that word. And I was like, well, you it makes you squeamish because someone at some stage in history made it a swear word mm-hmm. and it's not. If I said to you, you need to go to the doctor about your elbow you would not feel squeamish. Mm. And the vagina is just another anatomical anatomical area of the body. It's not, you know, but we've, it's got, it's, it's, it's got a bad rap. Yeah. It's like when (laughs) people talk about periods, instead of saying blood, they'll say on, you know, on the discourse on kind of sanitary pads or whatever, it says it's something is soiled. Sometimes, you know, why can't we just say, well, in all honesty, so, so, I actually had to interview someone about something along these lines this week and they used they talked about blood a lot and I did find myself getting squeamish but I think that's um slightly more of a genetic inherent response I, I get squeamish about blood whether it be coming from your elbow or your vagina right so it's not doesn't to do matter with where I'm just a bit squeamish about blood so I think that's a bit different yeah but I also I mean I'm mostly really excited about how the landscape's changed because when I well, you know, my, my, I I set Lady Garden up in honour of my mother, who very sadly, when she was quite young and I was um, only just becoming an adult, really, I was 25 when she was diagnosed. I My mum was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and um, my mum was part of the, the feminist movement in the 70s. So actually, you know, she, we had, I'd get home from school and there'd be a, a group of kind of like, you know, shaved, shaved head women in my house <laughs> talking about feminism. Sometimes they would have vagina examining groups. I mean, you know, they were like, they. my mum my was a trailblazer. You know, nothing that I am doing today can, is, is more groundbreaking than what my mother did in the 70s because they really had something to fight for. Yeah. But very sadly, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when she was 52 and she died, or or 53, she died within nine months. So um, I only knew her for 26 years of my life. And that was, that's sad, but also I am grateful every day for the 26, I'm going to cry. Yeah, so, you know, I, I had 26 years with this amazing woman who then got very ill and got and, and, and passed away very quickly. And it was a good amount of time later when my next door neighbour tapped on my door in London and said, I've been made head of oncology for the Royal Marsden, for gynae cancers at the Royal Marsden. Dr. Susanna Banerjee, and she said to me, it was 2013, and my mum died in 2000, 2001, 2001, I think. Um... I should know that. Uh, I That's so fortuitous. Yeah. It? It's like you were saying a second ago about everything just kind of... Yeah. So 
it was a long time after losing mum that 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 Susie, Dr. Banerjee, came and asked me whether or not I could help her do some serious research into gynae cancers, particularly ovarian cancer. And what I think is really amazing, coming back to the vagina topic, is that when we, as a group of women, got together to start talking about what the campaign would be for the project, and the campaign ended up being the Lady Garden campaign, we did some research and there had been another female charity that had launched a campaign called the Vagina Campaign with a very famous comedian and it hadn't taken off. Really? Yeah, and this is only five years ago, but, you know, it's changed massively in the last five years. There's Mm. been... uh, So, and I think sometimes people that are quite activist-oriented, so whether it be for minority groups or the vagina, sometimes there's this feeling that it's not happening quick enough. But I've been on the front line of seeing the change because actually Lady Garden was one of the... Because Lady Garden was was started and initiated before some of these women's movements had uh, have developed over the past few years. So Me Too and Time's Up, which are really phenomenal things that other women are doing. When we set Lady Garden up, there was none of that. And actually, we decided to give the the, the project a, a quite a tongue-in-cheek name, Lady Garden, which you could say is like calling your vagina a foofy. But it's like, well, at the time, in order to get the nation's attention mm-hmm. and then actually the world's attention, because we've had quite su- successful responses from um, other countries, we needed to give it a name that people would go, oh, what's that? And then they go, oh, it's about gynae cancer. That's sad. But we'd have got them before mm. before they were going, oh, no, I don't want to talk about cancer. Or, oh, no, I don't want to talk about gynae cancer. It's even worse. And, oh, no, ovarian cancer is called the silent killer. We don't want to talk about that silent killer thing. So we kind of created something that was fun and light. And and actually, you know, I was just just last week I saw in Vogue there was an entire piece dedicated to to uh the rise of the vagina, I think it was called. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just it's just they've just it's just it's just changed. It's changed. It's changed. It's good. It's an anatomical word. Um I feel unbelievably proud to have been a part in it. We've now donated a million, over a million to the Royal Marsden and we've been invited to be be part of a, of a very select group of charities that have achieved that. Um, so the Lady Garden Foundation is now part of that group. And Dr Banerjee was on the radio this morning talking about the trials that she's been doing that we funded, at least significantly funded, if not all, and the success of them um, and, you know... Fantastic. If that's what I did for losing my yeah. mum, then I think yeah. it's a good thing. It's fantastic. And I think, like you were saying, I think there's so much good that can be had from women actually engaging with our our cycles, with our gynecological makeup, with what makes us such so different from our male counterparts and actually so much more powerful. Yeah. You know, it's the men need it too. Yeah. yeah, I'm really good friends with JC that started Movember. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's really funny. It's through the charities. Yeah. He's an amazing, amazing human being. Yeah. And um, he's doing the same. He's doing the same. Um, I, I think it, for me, it's it's a means to an end. I think every woman gets to choose if they want to be really in touch with their own cycles. Definitely. I have no judgment on the woman. I'm sorry, but I just don't have any judgment. If a woman wants to take a contraceptive pill so she doesn't have periods, that's not for me. Mm. I'm very I'm very holistic. 
I'm pretty natural as a person. If she wants to do that, live and let live, I do not judge her. Mm. But what I do hope with the work that we're doing with Lady Garden and that now there's this real, you know, kind of surgence of, of women doing other stuff around being more brave and outspoken, if that means that women know what the symptoms are of gynae cancers so that their their mother, their sister, their daughter, their aunt, their girlfriend, their wife mm. doesn't need to be diagnosed too late, mm. then great, let's all talk as much as we can. Yeah, and all go and, you know, have our smear tests when we're told to have them and yeah. make sure we're, we're being proactive. Yeah. And do you find that you're, because acting is your, I guess, quote unquote day job <laughs> yeah. do you find yeah. that that's um played when they'll have me when <laughs> currently free again if anyone needs a really great actress Mika is free um do you find that that's helped you in your endeavors with Lady Guard and just being someone that's very used to kind of being in the limelight the public eye <laughs> kind of speaking engaging with audiences kind of using that emotive sort of dialogue do you know that's an absolutely fantastic question and i would say it's absolutely it's almost definitely the opposite do you think yeah because as an actor you are really um you're are you being someone else someone else it's more to do with the work i love i love the creation i absolutely love creating a character and being in a rehearsal room and developing a story that's a different thing but in terms of what i heard in your question was about how I am as a person, mm. whether or not... And I would say that... So you you were asking whether acting has... Whether it helped my work with Lady Garden. I would say actually the opposite, which is that having a purpose, something to do that is not about just waiting for an acting job, has completely transformed my relationship with my creative work. Interesting. So I have a different confidence in myself mm. because I have a purpose. Yeah. Um, and I have a different, a, a much wider experience of life. Mm. And, and, and actually the public speaking that I've had to do for Lady Garden has given me a confidence that I, because I'm quite shy in a way. I mean, I, I've, I've got great, I've got great game. I've got great act, but actually Little Meek was very shy and, and, Acting is a way of hiding. Yeah. So acting in a way allowed me to continue to hide. And Lady Garden, I've had to stand up and be seen as Mika rather than as someone else. Yeah. So I guess the two dovetail, but um, if it, it, they've, they've both enhanced each other. It's interesting because I think from an outsider's perspective, you know, I'm, I'm not in the acting profession, you would, one would assume that, an actor is always someone that's quite comfortable in their own skin, perhaps quite flamboyant, likes being centre of attention. But you're right, maybe it is, like you say, it's it's a way to kind of don a different personality and, yeah, and not be yourself for a day. Yeah, for What's sure. been your favourite role? Or can, is that a hard question? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think it's to do with role for me, but there was a job that I did a while ago now fact maybe just after my mother passed away 2002 it was 2002 um so it was a long time ago but 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 but, but, but it was improvised so it was filming it was improvised 
Um, so there was a real freedom, and it was a, it was a film called Falling Apart with Hermione Norris and, and Mark Strong, and I and they were married, and I played Mark's other other bit on the side. Mm. So um, that was fun. <laughs> Fit. Um, but what I liked about it was the process. So I it was very very liberating to for me. I love improvising. I love it when I can just sink into a different person and pretend to be them and see what comes out of my mouth. It's very exciting. And yeah. an actor's uh, one of the, the searches with with being a creative being is to to find the moment, to be in the moment, so to be really present in the exchange between you and the other actor on stage or, or, or behind the camera. And mm. when you're improvising, that's kind of quite easy to find. You can also lose it very quickly. Right. I mean, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I used to like do lots of musicals and stuff, and I was, and I always loved it. I think I actually, as a person, love being in the limelight, which is probably why I started a podcast, partly. But um, always, we all have a bit. You I know, think we I do. Think yeah, funny. human beings actually. What is it? Why do we want to sort of show off? I don't know. I was with someone last weekend who said that she was, she was saying how shy she was. And then within a split second, she was talking about how she felt ashamed of her behaviour the night before because she'd been so bullshit and extrovert. And, you know, but that's normal. It's, mm. I mean, I, I said to her she shouldn't feel ashamed. I thought she was great. But um, I think that we, we are like, we have every single possibility in us. You know, we have a universe inside of us. We have the potential to be every single emotion, every single stance, every single you know, psychological ex, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like personality? Yeah, every, every single psychological personality and expression is what I was going to say. Mm. Every single psychological expression and and somehow or other in order to feel safe, we try and lock it down. Grace is that person, so I know where she is, and therefore I don't have to feel unafraid. Mm. And if I it act out, then school. you'd start feeling, oh, I don't know who she is anymore. Yeah, it starts at school. Yeah. You know, it's kind of useful for life to kind of know a bit about who you are, but I think sometimes it can be detrimental. That's really interesting. I don't think I've, I'm, that's not a concept anyone's ever said to me before that knowing who you are is detrimental. Well, I think for me, I don't always get it right, and I and I'm and it's something I have to keep moving towards. But being open minded mm. is is the most exciting way to live, mm. and practicing non judgment on yeah. others, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah. to be open minded, like just be like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Oh, that's what's going on. Mm. Again, th that's something that I can do when I'm well resourced. When yeah, I'm not. I'm like, yeah. I might want to put myself in my box, everyone else in their boxes, and just go, everyone stay where you are. Yeah. Nobody move, just do what you're meant to do. <laughs> do you think um, growing up with an amazing mother who was so pioneering in that field of, of feminism and stuff, is it something that you've wanted to, to carry on in your own life, being a kind of strident feminist and, you know, really... But no. I, I mean, I, I kind of contradicted myself because I was no. about to say, I suppose, like you said, we, we have less no. to fight for now than yeah. she did. Well, different. It's different. just different. You know, there's a whole, you know, the internet, uh, the, the on social media has come. So women have got a whole load of other stuff and means to fight. Mm. 
um, people, human beings have, not just women. I, I didn't. I, I, I found... I found the movement my mother was involved in when I was young very overwhelming. Um, as I said, I was shy and it was a bit much for me. I'm not sure how I feel about children being in home environments where the political um, ideas are so strong that the child doesn't get to find who they are. So I'd say to my mum when I was little, I want to be a hairdresser. And she'd say, mm, why don't you want to be a, like a, a rocket scientist or a lorry driver? <laughs> and I get it. I get the point of it. But mm. like, what if I was supposed to be a hairdresser? Yeah. What if that is what my thing and in life was And what if being a hairdresser be? makes you happy? Then yeah. That's all yeah, you there need. There's a lot of pressure to be bigger, better, more than because of, the, because of fighting the good fight. So, so I think I found it quite difficult uh, when I was little and then I was very interested in feminism when I was at university, as as one ought to be, <laughs> in an academic way, doing feminist theatre. And but I've always been slightly more interested in the traditional and being kind of middle. And, and again, I suppose being more open minded. And then when Mum got ill and died, I had a terrible reaction to it. And I would say for ten years, I don't think I really believed anything. Okay. I don't think I believed in anything. I think I was hedonistic in my reaction to the world. Not not mm -hmm. just in my behaviour, but in the, uh, you know, I, I how could there be a God if... Uh, it's probably going to sound really self-centred because terrible things happen to people every single day, every mm -hmm. minute of every day. But my reaction was, what is the point in trying to change the world when I just lost my belief. Yeah, I lost my belief totally. in good. No, totally. I lost my belief in good. I lost my belief that it was worth trying to make a change. Mm -hmm. And then actually, I tell you something that happened relatively soon after that was um, the, the protest against the Iraq war when Tony Blair was in government. And I went on that because my parents were, were very much uh, part of the d demonstrations that happened in the 70s as well. And we went on a lot as children. And I went on that Iraq demonstration, which had this phenomenal turnout and I felt that war was really wrong and it made not an iota of difference. Not, not, it, it didn't even touch the sides. It was like the government, it, it was like, it was almost like we were an ant to yeah. what they wanted to do. Yeah. And I found that war very upsetting and it just finished me off. On a very personal level, I lost my faith in that I could make the world a better place when mum mm. died somehow. And then that, that period of war and the lack of respect for the British public and what we really wanted mm. sort of sent me over the edge. Um, I'm really excited, actually, about what's been happening with the Extinction Rebellion, which is, is not something that I'm active in. I, I'm not an activist. Like, you asked me about feminism. I'm, I think I'm a bit like Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, I don't think she probably goes around saying she's a feminist, but she talks so much and so openly. She kind of is naturally. Mm. I'm, I'm just compare myself to Gwyneth Paltrow. Do you steam clean your <laughs> vagina? Is that something that you do? It's not necessary, actually. You just steam clean your <laughs> vagina. It's um, not necessary at all to clean your vagina in um, any way. So, so, so I just, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not really an activist, but what I'm really excited about is that. I saw a friend last week who lives in Bristol and they did a bicycle ride around Bristol, which is where I grew up. I'm from London, but I grew up in Bristol. And they did a bike ride. They shut the city down. 
Extinction Rebellion two weeks ago. Was that the naked bike ride? Mm, don't do No, that was in that London. No, no, that just happens all the time every year. Okay. That's an ongoing okay. thing. Now, they're just they're just Shut not up, extinct. They're just naked. Okay. They're just naked bike riders. That's like that that's like that to oh, me. Oh, was that that was I don't want to be part of it a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, the naked bike riders, they just go, Do you know what? We're just gonna like be anarchists and not take seriously the fact that it's illegal to it is. Yes, illegal to be naked. I know. No. I know. I hate that. So, I think that's awful. So, so I mean, you know, I, I'm... Yeah, I don't know, it. Grace. I'm, like, I'm, I'm very aware that the upbringing I had has given me a bedrock and a platform to be a very brave human being. Mm. And I don't regret any of it. Amazing. And I have no resentment over any of it. It was hard when I was little. I was very angry when mum died. I've found my place now. What I can tell you is that today I do it my way. Mm. I, I don't think I'm really an activist. I think I'm mm. quite up for campaigning yeah. and being behind things that I believe in. I don't believe in being angry. Yeah. So anyone that's being an activist, Tom Stoppard talks about this. I've never been able to find it again. found it twice. There's a book of interviews and it's a very early Tom Stoppard interview and the interviewer says, why don't you put any politics in your plays? Because there is a lack of... There's always a political moral message, but he's he was writing during a period when there was a lot of political playwrights. Mm -hmm. and, he, they, why, and he said, because I think people that are very political are angry. And I read it and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Mm. That, that often people that have a inherent anger from things that have happened to them in the past, mm. rather than digest and process them, can latch that feeling onto a mission, mm. an activation, something to change. And I'm going to contradict myself a bit because actually, thank God there are those people because there are things in the world yeah. that really, really need to be changed. It's just not for me. I'm just not the person to do it. I, I feel very, very, I'm a, I have very, very good morals. I know what I believe in. I know what's right and wrong. Mm. If you could give a mess, one message or multiple messages to girls growing up now who are growing up in this world of social media when you know it's really hard to to know what's right for you and what you want because you're bombarded all day every day with what everyone else is doing around you and yeah, so much mixed messaging maybe like when I so I, I mean I don't know like well, first of all, I tell them to read Bryony Gordon's book, You've Got This, which is essentially like a complete, you know, it's like guide a, to yeah, a guide to how, a... to how to be, just like be okay with you. Yeah. I hear your question. I went to a very small school. Um, I went to a very small school in the countryside in a village called Saltford. And then I went to a slightly bigger comprehensive in Bristol. And the there were two primary schools that fed this um, secondary secondary school and I can tell you that I didn't know there were other options. We were mm. like packed. It was like, you know, there, there was no internet then because I'm not a millennial, even though I'm veganish. And um, and I and I and there were there were not there was no way for I mean in fact I remember the moment that hip hop records started to kind of like come in from America into a local record shop. 
starting to understand that there was this whole other culture. And we went to Florida on holiday that summer. And I just, you know, it was really... So on the one hand, yes, the amount of incoming information for young women must be overwhelming. But on the other hand, how liberating. Yeah. How exciting. Because it's completely got rid of the boundaries or the... Uh, not the 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 walls, the walls that I I grew up with. I just thought I had to be like everyone else. I found my gang within the school that I went to, and then we all kind of like copycatted each other. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's still going on. That's just a, that's also just a young thing, but I don't know that social media is bad. I don't know. I I don't. I understand it has very very dangerous elements, and I understand that it for me. I you know I just have to not look at it a lot of the time, mm. but. I think in a way, coming back to this thing about being open-minded, their minds are going to be so open. Yeah. You know, there's this moment in Netflix's Sex Education. Oh, I love Have you that watched it? It's so you know good. the episode where um, the young black gay man, yeah. someone drives through his town. Yeah. Bit of a gangster type, gay. Well, I don't know if the if the man driving through the town is gay, but he's wearing blue nail varnish. Yes, and it like and makes he, him feel kind he's of just it's like positive. yeah. Mm. He he identifies. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah, I mean I I don't know why considering that's a current series he hadn't seen quite a lot of that. I don't know what it was it was a wonderful moment. I loved it. Mm. But I but I remember that I'd go on holiday. When I was young I'd go on holiday and meet different people and it would be like, "Oh, I, I can be someone different mm. to the person that I'm developing into in the tiny little school that I went to in the countryside." So I don't know, Grace. I it's complicated, I think. And I and I'm definitely not I'm not a, you know, I, I, again, I'm probably the most boring person in the world. I think everything in moderation. And I think that actually it can be really exciting social media and a great way to communicate. And a lot of my friends are still in my life because of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a great tool as well, yeah. isn't it, for communication? Yeah. So in terms of, of Lady Garden... I question, have I? Could you ask me what I'd say to young women? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I think you kind of have. You'd say... Um, be yourself be yourself yeah and find your do you know what I'd really say find a mentor okay yeah yeah find women older than you yeah that you feel really safe with Mm. that you really trust Mm. and that do not judge you yeah Surround I think that's such a hard thing to say don't judge you yeah I think when you're I think when you're young and growing up there is just such much more of a culture of judgment like you're saying because we're kind of all trying to copy each other and be like each other. And there's always one girl at school that's the coolest or the most sporty or whatever. It's funny that, isn't it? It is. It's it's so funny. And looking back at my school years now, I had a great time at school. Like I absolutely loved it. But I do remember being really upset when I wasn't included in certain mm. groups or, mm. you know, there's one thing where, and they're still all of my closest friends, these girls, which mm. is amazing. Mm. But I remember we had learned this dance routine to steps and we were going to perform it for our teacher that was leaving. <laughs> and um, I was in, I was only allowed to press, press the play button on, on the tape That's machine. The job they gave you. And then everyone else did the dance and like, I was not allowed to do the dance. And I just remember being so sad. Yeah, that's an awful thing to happen. I'm a great dancer, Mika. Are you? (laughs) (laughs) She is not showing me her moves, podcast listeners, just so you know. I do love to have a dance. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's good for the soul, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So just quickly before we end, um, plans for Lady Garden for the future? Are you obviously continuing your fundraising, doing amazing things? I just remember you saying something to me the other day about... um, 
we were talking about smear tests and how awful speculums are. <laughs> and you were saying that you'd love to do, what was it, like um like a competition or something a competition. to design yeah. a new speculum or to yeah, like reclaim yeah. the speculum. Yeah. Well, I was actually out one of one of the girls that we've worked with quite closely has had precancerous cervical cells. A lot of them have. Um uh, a lot a lot most of the women we work with have had some kind of relationship to a gynae cancer and cervical cancer specifically. There is a bit, you know, there's, there's a high statistic of girls who've had precancerous. Mm. So I I was actually chatting to one of the girls we work with and she told me that the speculum was this is this is an article that, that she then forwarded me in the paper so i'm this is second hand information i haven't done any more research on it so if this is wrong i'm sorry everyone it's fine but what the article says is that the speculum which is this really cold horrible sometimes plastic sometimes metal thing that then like it opens up almost in the same way as you lift a, the car you know when you when you get a flat tire, yeah, like you, and you kind have to put of, the thing um, underneath like the car, up, and you have to sort of you? winch it up yeah. to get the wheel off. Yeah, that's a bit like the opening of a speculum. It, it, that's how it feels to me that someone is opening my my vulva. <laughs> um, bad, two very bad feminists yeah. sitting right here. Um, Let's just go with vagina. Yeah, and. That was developed, that, that, that particular piece of, that instrument apparently was designed by, 150 years ago, by a man, a male doctor, but not actually even by him. Apparently it was a male doctor that was training in Africa and he got one of the students that was working with him there to design it. Mm. So, but I mean, even if we redesigned it or reclaimed it to make it better or more comfortable, I mean, it, fundamentally, you still just need a thing that opens up, don't you? So it's always going to be. Yeah, these things aren't bit... that uncomfortable. They aren't that comfortable. No. I think. I think you know you can ask if you can put it in yourself. Oh really? Yeah, there's all sorts of things that you can do yeah. to. Uh, you know, the most important thing is to stay really relaxed. I think it would be really fun to do a competition to see if someone could, because I don't know how you do it, mm. you know, but I, I just think we should do a, a competition to see if someone come up with a better idea. Yeah. Because I, I actually firmly believe, so of course this particular instrument and those tests that you have, the smear test, are only for cervical cancer. Mm. They are still desperately looking for really decent tests for the other gynae cancers. We're, 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 we're struggling. Really? Yeah. But cervical cancer and the smear test... One of the reasons why I would suggest, propose, although I don't know statistically, is because people don't want to go and have that process done. Yeah. And I just wonder. There's I mean, a I'd, fear around it, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't I don't there? know. Sorry. What if it was like just a kind of like a bendy thing if, like, that you could just push? I mean, a bit like a penis. <laughs> why does it have what? Like, what, you know, a penis goes all the way uh. to the back. Why can't you just create like a thing that just kind of goes up? And then does a little bit of wiggling around on the... Yeah, because literally all they need to put in is a tiny, tiny swap. So it yeah. doesn't actually... I'm sure they don't need to open you up that wide. Yeah, I mean, listen, we are really out of our depth here, Grace. Yeah. I'm enjoying the conversation. Is there any Mika and I have just had some great suggestions, <laughs> so feel free to, you know... They'll be like, oh, these girls are so annoying, they just don't understand anything. <laughs> oh, I, I, I wish, you know, nutritionist, actor, what do we really know? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to my three final questions I ask everyone on the podcast. Oh, yes. 
the... I've forgotten about this. Yeah, no, I... But I'm just trying to remember what the first one is. The first one is, if there's one thing in life you could do again, what would it be? Look after my mum while she was dying of cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. There's probably no no better answer than that. Um, I, I never have to do that again for anyone. It's the most horrendous thing to go through, but I would do it in a heartbeat. If you could change one thing, what would it be? One thing I've done or like... Just, I mean, a lot of people say nothing. You know that, that I know that is the most kind of. Mm. I mean, like everything. Yeah. But we've all watched Back to the Future, and if you change things, then it changes other things, which is why the answer's got to be nothing. I think I might have wanted. My mum gave me an opportunity. I had a bit of a difficult time at school, um, and my mum gave me the opportunity to go to a girls' school down the road in Bath called Sacred Heart, and I, I think I should have said yes because I had a, a difficult time. Mm. Okay. And the podcast is called State of Mind, which encompasses many different things. Um, but what does that mean to you? Open mindedness. So Have having an open mind, state yeah. of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Do then you your think, then your state of mind will be well. Do you think that your state of mind is changeable? Yeah. For sure. Mm. I mean, again, a bit like about us as human beings. Some days, no. Some days, yes. Yeah. Some days, a bit of both. Depending on how positive we're feeling, I guess. Yeah, there's all this really exciting research, isn't there, into the plasticity of the brain that they used to sort of see it as like a circuit board, like an electrical board. And mm. I really don't know very much about it, but I know that the current research into how brains work is you can transform them. Yeah. And again, coming back to, you know, the Eckhart Tolle quote about it's your reaction, it's your resistance to the problem. Like if you keep choosing to be open-minded and not get in the ring with the problem. So the problem comes and you've got a choice. You can get in the ring with it or mm. you can not and, and choose to... Mm, rise uh, above. And I don't get it right a lot of the time. Yeah. But that's okay because at least I'm moving towards it. Mm. At least I'm... Because I, I know that when I just don't... When I'm not overly reactive, I'm much happier, much calmer. Mm. And that's the state of mind that I look for. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mika. It's been so nice talking to you. I don't want it to end. <laughs> Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. If you enjoyed the episode and you haven't already done so, then please, please leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app, as this really helps to get the podcast heard by more people. You can find me on Instagram at Grace Kingswell and Mika is at Miss Mika Simmons. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Bye bye. Bye.